Looking for Sally, the podcast. Looking for Sally, episode one, part one. Evil becomes you. Somewhere on Interstate 94, North Dakota, a red Mustang drives off into the night. James is having trouble focusing on the road and his daughter Charlie is dozing beside him. Her feet on the dashboard. They left Seattle without looking back and took the only direction they could. Where had Sally gone? Why had she left home without a word? Why Boston, Dad? It's instinct, Charlie. Birds always go back to where they come from. It's where she said she'd go. James struggles to finish his sentence. He struggles to understand what happened. His wife's run away, the amount of miles swallowed since they left home. Fatigue and amazement mix like a bad cocktail that makes him dizzy. Take your feet off the dashboard, Charlie. We should reach Bismarck before midnight. Do you think she's alive? Of course mom's alive. She's just going through a bad time. We'll stop soon, I promise. You've been saying that for hundreds of miles, Dad. You've been saying that since we left Seattle. The roads and signs continue to roll by, and Charlie is uncomfortable. Her gaze wanders from the road to the rear view mirror where she sees her face Blur and distort. She wonders if she's following the same path as her mother. She wonders why she left them. I'm sorry about the fight at school. You were right. It it wasn't worth it. Always the same girl? I'd rather come work in the workshop with you. We had this conversation before. You're too young. Red neon lights a few miles away begin to dance in Charlie's eyes. James takes the exit and the car pulls into a parking lot. The air outside is icy cold. Charlie shivers. Is this a bar or a motel? I don't know. Let's find out. Atmosphere in the bar is deafening after hours closed in the car. Charlie feels nauseous. James doesn't notice and heads for the counter, where a young waiter stares at him, a little haggard, no doubt surprised to see human beings still passing through the door of his establishment at this hour. You know of any decent places to stay around here? We've come a long way and the cell service is dead. Charlie's stomach is in knots and she bolts for the bathroom, her hand over her mouth. A tall man in a denim jacket covered with band patches watches her pass, cigarette in mouth. That kid of yours looks carsick. 
You know, you go six more miles, you're going to hit the motel. James is starting to feel sick, too. The smoke filling the bar, the music pounding in his head. And the big man next to the pool table staring at him. Even the barman seems anxious. Are you drinking or not? No thanks, we leave. James heads for the bathroom. The fog of cigarette smoke now seems to rise up in front of him like a wall. And the floor is no longer so firm under his feet. Charlie? (laughs) It's okay, Dad. The motel is only six miles from here. Can you make it? Look at me like this. I'm sorry, sweetheart. The exit door looms in the reddish glow of the neon lights outside. Charlie walks towards what her foggy mind imagines to be the antechamber to hell. But she feels a gaze upon her. Insistent. Dirty. Disgusting. Whoa. Check out that pretty young thing. A sweet thing. Buy a drink, honey. The voice of the man looking at his daughter comes out of nowhere. James's stomach clenches. The exhaustion, the road, Sally. It's a mess in his head. Charlie realizes that her father is itching to fight. Come on, Dad, let's go. Leaving so soon? Damn, she's a feisty little thing, too. I like that. Shut the fuck up. Just enjoying the view, Daddy. Please, Dad. I'm exhausted, and he's just another jerk. Maybe Daddy wants to play? Fuck. Son of a bitch! Dad, stop it! The pool cue smashing against the wall snaps James out of his anger. His head buzzes to the point of dizziness. Charlie's hand grabs his shoulder. That's enough, let's go! The motel room is silent. Charlie is sound asleep, and only a faint glow illuminates James's pale face. His eyes stare into space as he removes his shoes like a rusty puppet. A shadow passes, invisible to James's absent eyes. The light flickers, then goes out with a crackle of agony. Fucking motel. With no other choice, James lies down, prey to the dark thoughts that resurface under the cover of night, poisoning even his sleep.
Motel room, 8 a.m. Charlie has climbed out of bed and locked herself in the bathroom. Gently, she rolls her sleeves over her scratched forearms. Still red and hot, as painful as the secret she's hiding. Can't believe I let you do this, little bastard. Daddy? Daddy, is that you? But James is still asleep. So Charlie returns, resumes her train of thought. She lets the water run. The sound soothes her. when she sees him, his face melting with hers in the filthy mirror, a red glow shining in his empty sockets, as if death itself were staring at her. Charlie lets out a scream. Charlie? Charlie doesn't answer, terrified by what she's looking at and what's looking back at her. Sweetheart. Charlie finally manages to take her eyes off the mirror. The apparition has dissipated, but she can still feel his presence. The smell of sulfur he brings with him every time he visits. She collects her things and leaves without looking back. How long you been up? Long enough to be hungry. Can I go down for breakfast? You're gonna get sick again. I still have to eat if I want to stay alive. But hey, that's up to you. James stretches his hand to his shirt and glances out. A thick mist covers the parking lot. I guess we'll have to wait for the fog to lift anyway. A few feet from them, sitting at the bar of the same second-rate North Dakota motel, another castaway of the night is on the phone with his wife. I turned my head, and she was gone. Like I tell you, Clarita, very odd. She missed her plane and was desperate to get to Boston. She told me a story, but I don't think she was in the right mind. Yes, darling. I'm done with this business. I'm going home. That woman's name, he'd already forgotten. The road continues eastward for James and Charlie. Interstate 94 stretches between the plains of the Dakotas, and Charlie's on the verge of sleep when her attention is drawn to swirling lights of emergency vehicles on the side of the road. The Mustang swerves and Charlie, hypnotized, sticks her nose to the window to watch. Oh, you think they're dead? Look away, Charlie. Looks pretty ugly. Answer the phone, please. Hello? Yeah, he's here, but he's driving. Put it on speaker. 
James. Officer Sherman here, Seattle PD. I'm calling to ask where you are right now and give you some news. We're on the road. What news? We checked your wife's bank account. You mean our account? Well, turns out your wife had her own bank account in her name. She cleaned it out three days ago. I'm sorry, we don't know anything more currently. Her cell phone hasn't transmitted since. Her sister in Boston? Well, she hasn't answered either, but we'll keep trying. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get through this. We'll find her. Can I put on some music, please? Hmm. Meanwhile, in Seattle, a woman in a long dress her face hidden behind large sunglasses, walks toward the entrance of a store where a poster advertises a guided tour of the city's underground. She enters. The counter has long since been abandoned, and the smell of the tunnels is overwhelming. Not the ideal hideout, but at least nobody's coming to look for them there. She climbs down the flight of stairs, clinging to a rusty metal banister and heads up a corridor. David stands there, his long black hair and leather coat giving him the air of a superhero he's not. His soul is as stale as the air in the underground tunnels where he hides. The walls ooze. Used syringes litter the floor. You're late, Kay. I had to get rid of my husband. Seems like he didn't want to leave this morning. What do you have? Karen drops a pearl necklace and two credit cards on a rickety table. That's all I've got for now, but I still have to search the house. David's gaze doesn't linger on the meager booty. His hands caress Karen's shoulder and slide under her dress. She doesn't move, staring at him like a willless puppet. Forget the money. You know what I need right now? <sighs> Blood. The group's starting to lose faith. And it's been a long time since we've had one of these parties, you know. How many do you need? Two. One to entertain the followers, one to entertain me. Young, firm, brunette. You know how I like them. Take Garth with you if you need a henchman. <laughs> We're gonna have some fun. Yes, master. The fog has now completely cleared, and James and Charlie have stopped at a North Dakota gas station. Charlie has walked away toward the store, and James is daydreaming, a motionless silhouette behind the gas pump. Charlie usually thinks of everything, but this time, she's forgotten a little detail that resurfaces 
as she crouches down to grab a package from the shelves, a detail with a finely honed blade protruding from the sock where she hides it since she's stolen it from her father's workshop. Shit. Good morning. Morning. Can we go now? Of course, if he found out, her father would have questions. And that wasn't in Charlie's best interest. At all. In a move quick enough not to be seen, she tucks the knife under her jeans. For a brief moment, the quivering sensation in her stomach returns. Then fades. Yes, Daddy. I'm ready now. The miles pass. Charlie has fallen asleep against the window, despite the tremors of the road. And James looks at her for a brief moment. She looked exactly the same ten years earlier. I'm sorry I had to call you, Mr. Anderson. You haven't told me what's going on. Where's her mother? She's working. There's a problem with your daughter, Mr. Anderson. Nothing serious, but she suddenly falls asleep in class. Does she sleep well at home? The suspicious look in the director's eyes remains etched in James's memory. Of course she didn't know what was going on at home. That Sally worked night shifts, and that he fell asleep exhausted at the foot of his daughter's bed often long before she did, that he had enough of this life. Talk to her mother. Sally, darling, please call me back. There's a problem with Charlie. If you can come home, at least call me. But Sally never called back. And it was the same feeling of abandonment and loneliness James felt driving on that highway in search of a shadow. Charlie had a strange feeling when she opened her eyes again. Her father had just cut across three lanes to the nearest exit. We're not going to Boston anymore? I feel like getting off the highway. How about lunch outside? Are you serious? In the middle of November? It's not that cold. There's a lake a few miles south. We could stop there. What do you think? We're not looking for mom anymore? Of course we're looking for her. But right now, I need a break. Are you sure we need all this food? Is it a girl or an ogre I've got? I'm starving. Will you let me drive? I don't think so, you evil creature. While Charlie climbs into the passenger seat, James tries to wedge the overflowing bag of food into the trunk, between the clothes and the strange box he'd almost forgotten about. James had been trying to get rid of it for a long time, but he made a promise to Sally. So he simply tightens a strap that keeps it closed to make sure that whatever's inside doesn't escape. He can't see it, but traces of dried blood smear down one side of the urn. James Wan, 
creepier than zero. Sorry, Grandma. What took so long? Oh, come on. Not again. The driver picks some music. Yeah, and the shotgun shuts his cake hole. Did you notice that I didn't throw up in the car this morning? Thanks for that, my daughter. Where do you think she is? I don't know. My gut tells me she's arrived home. I think so, too. We must have the same guts. But where's the sister two of us? Don't say that, sweetheart. I'd be fine with that, too. James doesn't answer, and Charlie decides to put the conversation on hold to go and change. What if this wasn't just a teenage provocation? What if she really meant it? Oh shit, it's been a while since anyone cleaned this place. What is that? Fuck! What the hell are you doing here? The snake uncoils and slides. Charlie could let him go, pick up her stuff, and get the hell out. She could, but she's not alone. And the voice rises in Charlie's head, frightening, bewitching. What are you gonna do, little Charlie? It's inside her. She feels it. The turmoil in her mind. She knows that it's the only way to get rid of him. Fuck it. I'm sorry, buddy. Please, make it quick and clean. Come on. You got what you wanted. Now that the show's over, leave me alone. There are only a few feet between her and her father, who has unfolded a map on the hood of the car. A few feet to lower the tension and calm the frantic beating of her heart. To get rid of this feeling and this metallic smell all over her. What took you so long? Is everything alright? Yeah, but we're gonna have to do the laundry. As soon as we can. I just thought of something. As they set off again, hundreds of miles away, the rays begin to filter through the curtains of a hotel room. A woman lies inert on the bed. Her belongings are scattered on the floor. The steady sound of air conditioning seems to whisper a name she herself has forgotten. Sally. Slowly, she turns around. She opens her eyes. This isn't my house. Sally barely dares to make a move. She slowly turns her head, heavy as an anvil. She wiggles her fingers, worried about making a noise and alerting someone. But who? She's on her own. The day seems to be dawning. So, very slowly... She sits back down on the edge of the bed.
The window is at the other end, almost out of reach. Her legs are weak, but Sally wants to know and pulls herself up, leaning on anything she can find. She shakes, wobbles. What the hell is going on? Her hand catches on the curtain. She almost falls. And then she pulls, slowly, to reveal the street below. There can't be more than two floors between her and the ground, and she has no trouble recognizing the park just down the road. It can be. An irrational fear overcomes her. The mad idea that she has been locked up, detained. A man passes just below the window, and she immediately closes the curtains. Fear of being seen. The questions race through her head like the frantic pecks of a crazy bird. How did I end up here? She turns around and is not reassured by the sight of her belongings littering the floor. Cautiously, she backtracks to the bathroom, enters, locks the door behind her. She turns around, runs the water in the bathtub, and removes her clothes. Gently, she slips into the almost scalding water. She lets herself go. You're home. Oh, Sally, darling. The contents of the shower gel bottle spill into the bathtub. Sally doesn't know if it's her or someone else, if her hand really belongs to her. Nothing seems real. Nothing except the twinge in her heart that lingers even as she submerged shoulder deep in water. A disturbance, a warning. Sally's mind is wrapped in a cotton ball. Everything is in slow motion. She unlocks the bathroom door and randomly picks clothes around the room. There's more than just clothes on the floor. Bottles full of pills, a crumbled prescription, and a book. Her finger runs across the cover, where tree branches in relief shelter the silhouette of a child. Is this mine? So, Sally sits on the edge of the bed and starts turning the pages. Notes in the margin awaken something. Sally continues reading. They're not notes. They're calls. He'll do it. He'll handle doing it. Sally shivers, her heart beating like crazy. The handwriting distorts with each page, becomes almost illegible. But she has no doubt it's hers. He's going to kill you, 